Father's Day can be busy, but it's exciting, and the opportunity to have the next generation of the church up here. I mean, I, I get to come for a lot of the preschool events, and sometimes we see this entire stage full of children. And I must admit, in my own time in my office, especially when Robin and I and the staff get a chance to hear the kids playing every day, there's always kind of the choice between, is this a blessing or a noise pollution with the kids playing downstairs, right? It's just like, it's amazing how much noise 20 little preschoolers can make running around chasing each other. And yet the reality is for me is I always just take a deep breath and tell myself it's the next gen of the church. And we get a chance to see that and be a part of it. And so for you moms, that's why we always try to plan it. It's a lot of work. And maybe we'll have to do another one. Like I said, there's some families out here today that are considering doing this. And so I hope this would be an encouragement to you today about what it looks like and what the value of that is. Some things in life seem simple, like a baptism or a dedication, but they're really profound in what they actually say. And so I just want to thank all the moms and all the dads and anyone involved with helping us get that done today. And like I said, if you're out there today and I see one or two families I know, let's get it done for you guys. Let's bless you guys and let's put that child before the Lord so that this congregation can realize every time you see someone walk that door, we have an opportunity to support and encourage. I also just want to lift my mom up this morning, a little selfish time for myself as well as my mom has fallen and broken her shoulder and she's kind of dire uh, and spending Mother's Day in the hospital and kind of secluded and all that. So just asking for my, for my selfish needs for my own mom as well, that the Lord would bless that. And just want to realize that every day is precious. I love how Sherry always kind of finishes with this countdown of how much time is left, right? It's like the, the sand and the clock is kind of running out and we need to remind ourselves about what's happening and all that. So moms, for everything you've done, for every lunch that you've packed, for every boo-boo that you've patched, for everything you've ever done, I mean, we're all grown-ups today, but none of us can forget that relationship with our mom. And so maybe you're here today and your relationship with your mom is struggling, and I just want to pray a special encouragement for you this morning. Maybe today's the day for restoration. Maybe today's the day where you can just take a deep breath, let bygones be bygones. And Paul says, forgetting what's behind, press on for what's ahead. And maybe today can be the day you make that phone call and offer that leaf of just, you know, I love you, I forgive you, I'm sorry that things have not been the way they could be or should be, but have a blessed Mother's Day and thank you for life, right? I mean, in the end, we do owe them that gratitude. So let me just pray and then I'll get started with the passage and we're going to switch gears. We're going to be heading towards Acts chapter 3 and I should be done in a timely fashion, but I am excited with you to share after the week after Pentecost what happens in God's word. Father God, I thank you for this morning once again. I just thank you for the opportunity to put these families before you. I mean, it just feels like what's happening in the church right now with the 54 women that showed up for an event and just with the signups for VBS and just feels like, it feels like the church is battling back. It feels like we're starting, we're starting to regain some ground. And I'm just, I'm excited for the kingdom of God and I'm excited for what a day like today brings. But I also know that maybe Mother's Day for some is hard. Maybe they've lost their moms. Maybe there's some unsaid or undone things and so i want to pray specifically for anyone here this morning that has a troubled relationship with their mom father i pray in the name of jesus that the forgiveness that can only come from you maybe that forgiveness has been withheld that father you would specifically and supernaturally today allow the spirit of god to restore that which is so broken and it's been stolen father we need our relationships with our family as sherry said so beautifully this morning we're, we're oftentimes up against it, and just the sheer thought of, of being tired or hungry 
can take us away from the simple words of encouragement that our children so desperately need. And even though we're grown, we still need that encouragement from our own parents. So thank you for the opportunity this morning to see that in a different light. I pray that you bless this simple message, and I pray you bless everything that continues to happen in this room. Father, we do in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So we're in chapter 3 of Acts, and I'm just going to do verses 1 through 10. And it's a really interesting account, especially for Mother's Day. It's about an individual man who's lame, and he's placed uh, by the gates of the church uh, every single day. And he sits out there, and he basically begs. His job is to look for alms, and he's placed there on a regular basis. And it couldn't help but think about our own life in our own town and some of the people that are kind of surrounding us and the opportunity to just see people that are hungry. I don't know about you, but the way I drive home on Santa Ana or Newport every night to my house allows me the opportunity to see some of the same people every day. And I'm always kind of fascinated by the sign, you know, what they're willing to say and what they're asking for. Um, I have one guy who feels his honesty is uh, beneficial, so he says, just want beer just want beer and he wants me to stop and buy him a beer and I've you know I come from a long line of alcoholics and I don't drink myself and so I always just feel compelled to say something and do something and I never know what to do when he has his sign out I have another guy that says we'll take anything we'll take anything and my thought there is like why don't I have something to give him I really don't respond to him as well I just sit in my car and I pray and recently I have an elder an older woman that's been sitting out there and she says hungry and I couldn't help but think about something that I read this week about people that are trying to really f- figure out how do we deal with this? Are we, are we enabling people to live this lifestyle? Are we actually helping them? What is the, the, the appropriate response for a follower of God? And then I read this little story this week, this little article in the newspaper about a gentleman in Berkeley who owns a little mom-and-pop restaurant. Now, Berkeley's an interesting town, right? And so in his town, he has lots of people that are kind of struggling, And on a regular basis, someone would enter in the diner, which he owned, and simply ask, I'm hungry. And so he he began to feel overwhelmed by it. And so he went to his patrons. He had a pretty good flow of regular patrons. I can't help but think about our little pancake house here. Every time I go there, I see the same people, right? And he said, hey, would you guys mind just adding, if I added $5 to your bill, you don't have to, but if you would, we're going to start this program called Free Meal Coupons. And we're just going to, every time one gets paid for, we're going to put the coupon by the door, and any person who walks in who says, I'm hungry, they can walk over to the wall, and as long as there's a coupon there, they take it, they get to sit down, and they get a free meal. And it's not a cheesy meal, it's two eggs, two hash browns, two toast, a cup of coffee, and the only question they're asked is, how would you like your eggs? And they're treated like a regular human being. And he said he felt so compelled to do this that when he started sharing it with his customers, the customer said, yes, I'm absolutely. And I've been wondering how I can help too because it's one thing when we give, we don't know what it's going towards, right? But this is something very specific and targeted and it helps them restore a sense of community. As he did this, he realized something. What had he just done? As the word began to get out and it went from one person to five people to 10 people to 25 people to 50 people to one day he served over 100 people, he sat down with someone who was involved in his business planning and said, what have we done? What are we actually doing? Are we going to give away the small profits? I mean, it's really difficult to generate money in a food restaurant business. He says, we're just going to trust it. He never mentioned God once in the article. He just said, I just feel compelled to do this. He's a Berkeley guy. I don't know how many Berkeley people are mentioning God, right? He just feels compelled to do something about something that's in front of him every single day. As we speak today, he's feeding over 200 people a day. And as he sat down with his customers, he handed them a little flyer. He said, we have not gone bankrupt. We have not gone out of business. 
and customer satisfaction is the highest it's ever been and since I've owned this business. And to tell you the truth, my accountant has just told me we are net 15% over margin for the year. And I just couldn't help but think about an encouraging story like that this morning. It's like, how many of us are walking by the same people every day? How many of us are walking by the same situation every day and being overwhelmed by the totality of what we see in life and we think, what can I do about it, right? Am I really helping someone who says need beer? Am I really helping someone who might just go out and buy drugs? And it's a huge conundrum, and yet this passage, this simple passage in chapter 3, is about this simple man who's lame. He doesn't have the choice to work or not to work. You know, some of the people on our streets are not lame. Some of the people on our streets choose to be on the streets. And some of the people, when you give them money, it will go to horrible, horrific things. And we have this conundrum in our life, like, what do we do? What do we do? And then we get so overwhelmed by the conundrum, we all just kind of stop doing. And we realize it's too overwhelming. But what we're going to see in chapter 3 of this verse is that Peter and John are doing something they have to do every day. Peter and John are going somewhere they get to go three times a day. And in that journey, past this incredible gate, they get to see the same person every single day. And then I started thinking about my own life again, right? The Berkeley story is fabulous because it's a real story. You can look it up. But I had someone in my own life when I was a child, and we used to pass them every day. Do any of you guys remember the Laguna Beach greeter? Man, as a kid, we used to, I grew up in San Clemente. This is my stomping grounds. I was born here in Hogue, and I grew up in San Clemente. And we used to spend a lot of times migrating up and down the beach. Well, Laguna was where the first Quicksilver stores were and a lot of the surf shops were. And so we would constantly be driving up and down PCH trying to find the best break and where we go, a thousand steps, Laguna, you know, there's lots of fabulous beaches. And every day we would see this bearded wonder out there standing. He looked somewhere between like a pirate and like a cartoon character. And so we would wait to kind of go by the, the hill where he was always standing on the hill and we would scream, hey! And he always had this amazing smile, and he just loved to just stand out there and greet us every single day. I remember when he, when he finally passed and he went away for about a couple of months. It was not much to look at down there. But then Scott Whalen, who does the whaling walls, with the, the, he had just done the first mural on the side of a building. And so we're like, well, we have that to look at. So it's still something or whatever. But the city of Laguna found that one man so powerful. Do you guys remember what they did? They put a bronze of him up there, right? A bronze of him waving on the sidewalk. I, I just, every time I read the scripture, scripture always speaks to me in weird ways. And I, I put in here, you're probably going to be running on a tangent by now. And it's like, it's not that it's tangent based. It's like, I want you guys to realize something. When we read scripture, sometimes it's so easy to kind of saying, oh, I've heard this passage before. But this is a real person. This is a real place. And these are two real guys. And they're coming out of chapter two in Pentecost where the same guy who had betrayed Jesus three times, not only denied him, but escalation of denial, and then using cussing to say, I have no connection with this man, denying and lying him is the one who spoke Pentecost, and now this guy's just having a regular day, and he's going to the temple. And this encounter with this regular guy who we've seen a million times, something's going to happen this day, and it's going to change. And I couldn't help but think it's a normal experience to see someone begging but in Jewish religion, there's something that maybe you didn't know. In the Jewish religion, paying alms to the poor was part of being a good person. And anytime you paid alms to a poor, it was always something incorporated with a blessing. And so for them, it would have been a natural thing to kind of give alms. So I'm sure he did well there being in that spot every day. But for me, it's something more than that. And I want to get to that more than that this morning. And I think the more than that is found back in chapter 2, verse 43. Everyone was being filled with awe at the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. 
Everyone was being filled with awe by the many wonders and signs. So this idea that these believers, these first believers, had the chance to perform things, to do miraculous acts that gave people the chance to see this Jesus as the Messiah, not only is the power that he had, but the power that he gave them as followers. And because it is a situation where there's power and this idea of gifts and signs, I also would like to clarify something for all of you that have heard so many different things. One of the things that I know it doesn't show is it doesn't show that we have the Holy Spirit's power to prove our proof of our salvation. It's not for us, okay? It's not proof of yours or my power. Never at any time the Holy Spirit's being used as a proof for the individual. It's also not an opportunity to authenticate your faith to him. It's not for a believer to a believer to use, okay? It's also not something where the opportunity to just show faith. In other words, let me show you that I have faith by pr producing a sign or a wonder, Every single time a sign and a wonder is used, it has a very specific meaning. And once again, I like to use what we learn in seminary. We use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So here's an opportunity for me to share with you a passage I think will explain what a sign and wonder is for. The first sign and wonder recorded in the Bible is in Exodus 4 5. Moses at the time is standing up against Pharaoh, and he has to call Pharaoh out and tell him this is who God is and this is what he can do. And this is what he says to him about the signs that he will show Pharaoh. Exodus 4, 5, that they may believe that the Lord God, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you, that they may believe in God, okay? That is crucial. That is the foundations for these first signs and wonders. And once again, in Exodus 7, 3, he confirms, then the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord, so anytime we want to talk about a sign or a wonder or a gift, it should always be relative to one thing, so that the individual who doesn't know can know, so the individual who has no faith can have faith, and so the individual who doesn't know that God, Jesus, is the way, the truth, and the life can come into salvation. And because of that, any opportunity for a sign gift today, as long as it's relative to salvation, as long as it's relative to a lost person coming into knowledge, then I am on board with you and I want to affirm it. If it's any other way, then we should discuss it, okay? And it just helps us keep the main thing the main thing. So as we get to the story, it clarifies who's doing the work and what's the work that's being done and what's the point of the work. So let's get to the passage and then we'll break it apart. It's only 10 verses, so I'm doing pretty good. Acts 3, 1 through 10, and I always read for you guys in NIV. That's the Bibles that you have. And once again, if you don't have a Bible and you see a Bible in the building, please take it. Um, there are gifts to you. So one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at a time of prayer um, at three in the afternoon. Interesting component there we'll discuss in a minute. And now there was a man who was lame from birth who was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for the people going in and out of the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as John did. Then Peter said to him, look at us. So the man gave him the, his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said this, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with him into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who had been sitting at the temple gate called Beautiful. 
and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happens. So Peter and John were doing something. Peter and John were doing something that they did three times a day, okay? For a Jewish person, a devout Jewish person, you went to the temple at 9 a.m., at 12 p.m., and at 3 p.m., and you did this as part of your ongoing faith. So when you think about how many times they've probably walked by this individual, it should be numerous, right? He was being placed there every day. So I don't see that as the man being homeless. What I see is a contingency of people that take care of this man who does not have the ability to work. He does not have the opportunity to produce any income. And so the people that are providing care for him, this is how they provide this care, is they place him every day in a strategic location where they know people are going. Why? Because the gate that they're placing him, we'll talk a little bit about the gate in a minute, is not to anywhere else but to the temple. Okay? Only the people going through this beautiful gate are on their way to the temple. They're not simply trying to travel in and out of the city. And they know that someone who walks by someone asking for help is a blessing to them. We're going to talk a little bit about that because I don't think they enjoyed it necessarily, but they did it because it was a blessing. They walked by, they walked by, they walked by, like we walked by and they walked by and they walked by. But this day is different. Now, I wish I could tell you because it's Acts chapter 3 that this is one day after Pentecost. But Acts, the whole book of Acts covers about 10 years. So I honestly can't tell you how much time has transpired between Pentecost and Peter's first announcing to everyone that the Spirit of God is moving and the church is about to be birthed. But I can tell you this, one of the things that this encounter shows me is that something was happening and that same Spirit of God that was moving in that moment was starting to move here. And because of that, I'm kind of like a nuance-based person. I really wanted to know why it happened at three. Now, in biblical numerology is one of those things. If you guys have a side, a side hack and you want to study something in the Bible, all the numbers, all the things in the Bible, they, they are all meanings. There's always meanings to them. And so I, I said, what is this about three? How did they pick these very times? And believe it or not, there's a specific reason why 3 p.m. is one of the final times you pray. Matthew 27, 46 records, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For all of you trying to figure out a time for a church start, three o'clock in the afternoon sounds pretty good. So if we move from 10 to three on a Sunday, that would be our reasoning for doing that. But for me, it just reminds me that something about the Spirit of God is moving and something about the same old, same old is not happening this day. For this day, they're not, they're not only not going to walk by this guy, but they're going to encounter this man. They're going to see this man, and they're going to realize that they have something that's better than money. Better than money. Yes, better than money. Forty years of begging. The, the book records this. The gentleman's 40 years old. So 40 years of doing the same old, same old. At some point, I'm sure you pretty much just give in to this. But 40 years of doing this was all for one reason, for this very day. I love Bible passages that kind of just speak to the moment. For this very day, because the reality is the beautiful gate, the place that he was sitting was not just only beautiful. It's estimated that the gates were 75 feet tall. So for those of you that are visual learners, that's two buses back to back. So it's definitely about as tall as this roof, if you had two buses there, and maybe even taller. 75 feet, double doors, covered and the best and the finest brass available. It was Corinthian brass. Remember the car with Corinthian leather? What was that car there? Fighting <laughs> Corinthian leather. And it was like the little guy that said, well, Corinthian brass was it, okay? Then it had ornate gold and silver around the handles. This thing was the essence of beauty. I mean, if there was a door to come in and out, it was this gate. 
And like I said, this is not a gate to the city. This is a gate to the temple. So it was very specific why people were going there. If you were going to beg in front of a door, if you were going to ask for help in front of some door, if opulence was ever being broadcast to all of the world, it was in front of the beautiful gate. It was so popular, it was said that 75% of the people who went to the temple wanted to go this way. Like, it literally drew people in. I can imagine that wherever you were in the city, if you could see the gate, especially if the sun may be shining off it. And like I said, the difference for them between a tithe, something you give at church, a tithe means something, by the way, a tithe means one-tenth, and an alm, A-L-M-S, an alm is two different things. This is not a tithe. They weren't giving a tithe to the individual. A tithe is something you give to the church, and that's how the church does its business and supports things. An alm is anything after the tithe, okay? So there was expectations that they would give alms, and the alms would be whatever they had to the individual. So he sat there, he sat there, he sat there 40 years. Well, guess what? You know who was also available in the last few years to pass by him? Jesus. Man, I found a commentary on one guy's thing. He literally wrote like a sermonette, like a 12-page vignette just on what it would have been like to see Jesus walking. I mean, Jesus is going to the temple too, right? But he's not even part of the story. It's just part of my side notes as I read this. Jesus walked by this guy too, time and time and time and time again. And yet Jesus didn't stop and heal him. Why? And it just reminds me, church, that there's going to be a lot of times in our life where we ask Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where, why aren't you seeing the scene? And Jesus knew the whole time for such a time as this. For this man's date was already set in stone when his encounter with the Lord would come. And man, what an encounter he's about to have. It's highly likely, like any one of our known people in town, that Jesus knew him. And maybe Jesus had an encounter. I don't know what their relationship was like. I'm simply telling you this is that there's times where Jesus has probably been with us and been around us, and maybe he hasn't moved in your life and you've wondered why. And I just want to encourage you for such a time as this, maybe even today. So Peter and John enter, and he does what he's supposed to do. He asks for money. It's no different than any other day. It's what he's supposed to do. It's what he's always done. But today, they can't look away. And that same Holy Spirit that spoke to Peter when the crowd started to murmur about people being drunk and the misinterpretation of what the Spirit of God was actually doing, that same Spirit blows in his heart and his mind. And all of a sudden, he decides to not only engage the man, but he asks the man to look at him. Now, here's some food for thought for you, whoever deal with people in the town. Part of the reason why I drive Santa Ana is I hate the freeway. That's pretty common right? I don't want to be on the freeway. But one of the hard things about driving Santa Ana or Newport home is it forces me because of the stop signs to engage all the way home. And it's really difficult for me because I'm, I'm kind of a contact person. I like to look. As, as I'm speaking, I love to kind of look in the crowd and engage people. It's difficult to me to not want to look at people. But you know what happens when you look at someone? Yeah, you, there's a sense that you're going to do something for that person. And so they're waiting for you to look at them, and they're hoping that engagement with you will then out of the goodness of your heart, get you to engage with them and do something. And so when I think about what Peter's saying here, when he says to this guy, hey, look at me, this guy's probably thinking, man, this is, this is the day. This guy's going to do one of those look at me speeches. This has got to be good, right? I'm going to give you a house. I'm going to give you a car. I'm going to give you your own car. I mean, this has got to be something over the top. I mean, if I told someone about driving home and I said, hey, look at me, I'm sure they would be thinking something pretty amazing. But not only does he not offer him what he's looking for, but I can't imagine what Peter was thinking when he said, look at me. What The rest of this speech, I mean, is this something, the Spirit of God must have been blowing through his heart. I mean, he not only engages him, but when he engages him, 
He's going to talk to him about something, not what he wants, but what God has for him. I think this is a key point of this passage, is often we're asking God for what the need is, which is temporal, and God is looking to give us what is eternal. As he looks at this guy and asks him what he's talking about, money, he says, no, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about something else. Silver and gold, that's not something I have. But what I do have, I give. Now, I don't know about you, but silver and gold, I mean, none of us really drive around with silver and gold today. And I've actually made it my kind of point in life is I don't actually drive around with money anymore. I just find it, you know, not worth to have. So I don't really have money driving around. But I've started asking myself, what could I drive around with that I could actually give to them? And I think what this passage is trying to remind us is that there's something more valuable that we have that's more valuable than money. It's more valuable than any physical resource that you think you have or can allocate or give to someone. It's the resource of the Spirit of God that lives within you. And the opportunity to ask that Spirit of God, this individual, like the gentleman in Berkeley said, these individuals that are in my neighborhood, what can I do about this, right? It's, um, it's the starfish story all over again, right? There's 10,000 of them on the beach. It doesn't matter. It does to that one. It does to that one, right? I mean, what can we do when it's overwhelming? It can matter to the one that's in front of you. And the Holy Spirit moves, and he tells him, what I don't have, I can't give you. And I know this is part of your life, and I know this is part of something that's been happening every single day. And I'm sure he probably had his cup extended out in such a way that says, this is going to be amazing what he puts in here. And then he tells him this, silver and gold, I have none. But what I do have to you, I give. And church, this is coming from a man that probably... I mean, most of the apostles and disciples weren't doing it for the money, right? Most pastors don't do this for the money. But what he had been given in the Pentecost, what he had been given in the power of the Spirit of God was overwhelmingly rich. He was overwhelmingly rich, spiritually speaking. And what he says to him and what he reminds us is you can't give what you don't have. Now, I think that's something that's worth stopping and sidebarring on for a quick moment because the reality is maybe your relationships, maybe your marriages, maybe your parenting skills, maybe a lot of different things are struggling this morning. And I would just encourage you this, if there's something that you're struggling with and you don't have, you don't have spiritual ownership of that, maybe that's the reason why you're trying to give something you don't have. And you should really just pray and work on the development of that skill set. Because what he's saying is, I already made peace with the fact that physical resources are not what we got in this for and not what the Lord has allocated. But what I do have, I'm rich in. And so this is what I'm going to offer you. <laughs> what, what is the offer him? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This is a profound statement. This is a profound statement because, once again, if it's not for the power of God speaking through him, if it's not for the power of the Spirit of God speaking through Peter, not only do I think he wouldn't know what to say, but this is, he doesn't just say Jesus, but he adds Nazareth. He's wanting these people to realize that nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? This is something well, well known back then. They already knew this. You said a Nazarite. Nothing good comes from a Nazarite. Remember back when the Galileans were speaking, nothing good comes from a Galilean. The Galileans shouldn't even be able to speak this way. But he's saying, in the name of that Jesus, a Nazarite, I'm going to give you what I do have. And what I give you is from my spiritual resources. Those resources are overflowing and constantly being filled. So what I give you is this, walk. I don't know how long it took his brain to hear, no coins falling in the cup, silver and gold have I none and walk, but I'm sure that the brain was just firing and on all cylinders, right? He's probably thinking, what did he just say? 
Could you repeat that? And I'm sure that John standing there with him was probably thinking, Peter, whoa, right? What are we doing here? This guy's been lame for 40 years. We've been, this is a part of going to temple is walking by this guy. What are we doing here? If he doesn't get up and walk, it's going to be a problem. I believe that every miracle of God is for the opportunity of salvation. Think about this this morning. Your salvation, the day that you found, you found the Spirit of God speaking to you and you were able to answer that. The reality is I believe that every single one of us as we sit in here today who have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is a miracle. My salvation is a miracle. Your salvation is a miracle. Because that spirit is constantly under battle. It's constantly under stress and strain, right? Ephesians 6, we wrestle not with those things, things but of principalities and dark and light. Just to do a child dedication. I mean, I really wish I could, sometimes the pastoral privilege of what I actually know happens. I wish I could really share with you one or two of the stories that happened behind the scene this week. Just to, just to do that beautiful little moment. But it's not. It's spiritual. And there's wars going on over these lives. And there's wars going on over our souls. Because it matters, right? Because these souls that we have are going to live for eternity. And when Peter tells this guy, get up and walk, the only thing left for them to do is stand back and wait. And stand back and wait that the Spirit of God that spoke to him gave him that affirmation. I like to call it the miracle of faith. I do find it interesting, though, that in verse 7... You know Luke is a doctor, right? The guy giving this account. This passage in chapter 7, another guy was kind of making some notations. The concept that when Luke said, get up, and that he was healed from his feet and his ankles became strong is written in medical verbiage. See, that's the kind of things that we wouldn't notice. Like, here's the point in studying scripture sometimes with some of the language. Now, we're lucky Bill can read in Greek and Hebrew. For the rest of us who can't, sometimes these little nuances get missed. But I mean, what Luke is saying, I'm not only attesting to this, but I'm saying, like, medically speaking, something happened to this man. Because not only was he restored, because he's lame, but he was fully restored. To the point that when it gets to verse 8 and he starts talking about this guy jumping and praising the Lord, this is beyond understanding this is beyond anyone's capability to put a rhyme or reason to it's also important in verse 8 to realize where he was jumping and praising at you know there's other stories in the bible there's other accounts in the bible of people being healed of people being blessed with a miraculous healing and it talks about how none of them the bible then says and only one or two went to the temple and gave thanks right some people just simply received the healing and went about their lives if God only gives you the opportunity to be healed from being lame, you know, it really is not that, I mean, it's exciting, right? If you've been sitting for 40 years to have the next period of your life that you're alive. But if he did all that and you still came to the bema seat of judgment one day and you didn't know Christ, then really what was the miraculous healing ultimately worth? I mean, Lazarus, we, I always talk about this, Lazarus being raised from the dead is incredible. There's a couple accounts in the Bible of people being raised from the dead, but you still had to face that again, Right? The only time a miracle ultimately serves its purpose is if you can realize that that miracle brought you into saving knowledge of Christ, into the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And maybe that's what holds people back even today, right? They know God is real. They know Jesus is something that's beyond words. And they know there's kind of this tug and war in their life about trying to make a profession of faith. And that's that miracle for them to finally open up the door and invite Jesus in. And when they do it for this one man, he not only stands up, but he's hopping and he's skipping and he's in the temple and he's praising God, right? How could you go from praising God 
if you didn't know who healed you. And I think this is the, maybe the second point I want to share with you. First point being, like I said, we, we kind of overestimate the value of our physical resources. Okay? I think a lot of us sp- spend a lot of time and energy thinking about our physical resources and that we need to manage those well. I don't think, biblically speaking, that's complete, tr- completely true. I think it's important to manage your house well. But I think what it takes us away from is understanding how much more valuable your spiritual resources are. And the fact that with the prayer, the prayer of one person, the prayer of one person availeth much, right? So the prayer of one person, the rain was held, right? With the prayer of some people, the walls fell. And so we, that was the first one. And then the second one is this, this idea here is that when, when we come to this saving knowledge of Christ, when we come to wonder and amazement of a miracle, is we have to realize something, that the temporal needs that we often ask God for are not what he's looking to fill, Right? Maybe the reason why God hasn't met your need or answered your request is because by giving you the very thing that you're asking for, it would be detrimental to you. I mean, there's times in my life where I know I specifically ask for things, and maybe you can reflect on that in your own life. There's times in my life where I've asked God, I really want this relationship, or I really want this job, or I really want this title. And then five years later, looking back on it, I realized, ooh, if he would have gave me that title right there, I would have destroyed myself. I was not ready for it. What I had to learn in those five years of him saying, wait, right? I mean, we kind of grow up with the idea that every question we ask God is yes or no. God, I want. God, I need. Will you answer it yes or no? And then we get to Psalm 27 and we read, wait upon the Lord, right? And what do we learn when we wait? What did this man learn in 40 years of having Jesus go back and forth? There was a day set aside for him. There was a day that was going to be his day of reckoning. And if he was able to be there for that day and respond appropriately, I believe that that man's dancing and rejoicing in the temple and praising God because I believe it was a miracle unto salvation. The reality of what happened because of that, people saw him now in the temple. The miracle, once again, like I said, what's the point of it? It wasn't an affirmation between John and Peter, right? This is not two believers trying to use the Spirit of God in like some sort of ping pong, like I have it, you have it, you have it, I have it. You. It has nothing to do with them at all. The Spirit of God stands alone as part of the Trinity, and the Spirit of God is moving through jars of clay, especially Peter, to show the power of God in wonder. And now all the people that are present in the temple that day who know that greeter, right, that waving guy in you know, Laguna, they know where he's been and they know what he's been doing. Now they see him differently. And what happens, verse 10 says, And when they recognized the man who had been sitting at the gate, they were filled with awe and wonder. Church, I don't know about you, but if the word of God doesn't fill people's heart with awe and wonder, then we're missing out. I mean, maybe that's part of the reason why the church is struggling is we're trying to create some kind of awe and wonder, right? We're trying to create some kind of event that makes people emotionally kind of connected. You don't have to create anything. You only have to read the word of God, trust the word of God, and speak the word of God, and then allow that same spirit of God that's speaking through Peter to speak to people and say, hey, look, you make peace with the Lord. The Lord moves in your heart, and the miraculous things that can happen in your life will lead you to awe and wonder. Like I said, when I accepted the Lord at camp in 1978, 1979 at Hume Lake, The moment I realized it was a singular decision, the moment I realized that it set a path in motion for me that I still, even today, every day I wake up, and some days I wake up even more tired than not, and I think, how can God use me? I am tired, and I am beat, and yet I I hear the Lord say this, just show up. The ones I can use are the ones that are available. If you're available, show up. I can use you. 
but Lord, my resources are depleted. You know, once again, we're talking about resources. And by the way, your energy, your time, all resources. He's saying, I'm not worried about those resources. They're all going to come and go. I'm worried about this spiritual resource that you have access to every single day. What I want to make sure you use this for is not for the temporal needs of people. The temporal needs are always going to come and the temporal needs are always going to go. I want you to address the eternal need. And church, that's something that we can celebrate on Mother's Day and Father's Day and every day in between is the reality of a a lame man being healed. And what we're going to see next week when we pick up the rest of the story is that awe and wonder that's now being percolated in the temple is going to do what? It's going to create another opportunity for Peter to speak. It's going to create another opportunity for the Spirit of God to move. For what reason? So that the kingdom of God can increase. There's never been another reason And that's what's so exciting for someone like me. I'm a simpleton, and because I know that, I can wake up every day and try to get you back to the same thing. If we could just wake up every day and realize the opportunity every day. I was at a funeral. I was at a 50-year anniversary. Whatever opportunity you were at, it was an opportunity to make the kingdom of God progress, to move forward with what we have to be thankful for, and forgetting what lies behind, press on for the prize, right? One final word of encouragement Peter said in in order to do that, he had to condition his body. I don't know about you, but conditioning our body today is a little bit tougher than ever before. Uh, We talked a lot about C's candy last night, which conditions my body in a different way. (laughs) I'm very motivated by C's dark chocolate with nuts, and I do feel it does condition me, but I don't know that it conditions me for movement, (laughs) more lethargy, and a period of time on the couch. I want to encourage you, church, to condition your spiritual body. Because I told you today that your physical resources are not the main thing in life that God wants to use and needs. Because your spiritual resources are truly one of your greatest resources unused in your life. Because the next time you pass someone on the street or have that kind of random encounter with someone and all of a sudden the Spirit of God speaks to you and says, feed that one or take care of that one. And you're like, no, not me. I want you to make peace with something. I want you to wake up every morning. I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to remind yourself. Simple Tom Phipps mindset. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it, right? I love the fact that Tom's constantly singing all these old hymns that we all grew up with. It's like, just keep it simple. This is all you have is today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. All you have is today. And it's Mother's Day. It's a beautiful day to celebrate. If your relationship with your mom is destroyed and it's just completely been in a place, then today is the day to look in the mirror and say, you know what, that's long enough. That is long enough that the devil's had victory over that relationship. I I would have talked to my mom. In the hospital, my mom's going to be miserable. My mom is not so happy as it is, right? And I I fight to be a good son. I want to be a good son, and I want you to be a good son today. I want you to condition your spiritual bodies. Read the Word of God every day. You listen to the news and all the crud that these people are feeding you every day. You listen to the radio like me, and you love certain music genres. You will do everything you can to condition that spiritual side, that physical side of you. and And it's a temporal need that's not building the kingdom of God. I challenge you this morning to... Put some time and energy into your spiritual resources and condition your body and tell your body, do a fast. When's the last time you fasted? I don't fast, Pastor Jeff. I'm too hungry. I understand that. And that's why you're too hungry, because you don't fast. And I'm not talking water fast. I'm talking food fast. You know, for some of you, a phone fast may be appropriate. I'm not kidding. One full day, 24 hours with no phone. 
And during that day, as your panic and your energy level is all over the place, I want you to realize something. Ask God to focus on a relationship that's currently broken or a problem that you know, spiritually speaking, that's unresolved, and you spend 24 hours every time your phone comes up praying to the Lord about your problem. Reprioritizing what's important in your life, your physical resources, your money, your time, whatever. No, it's not that's important. These guys, what did, it, what did it take to follow Jesus? Rich young ruler, sell everything. What does that leave me? Your outer and your inner and your walking stick. That's it. That's what it leaves you. But that's nothing. That's what's required to follow the Lord. These resources will come and these resources will go. This is your strength. Spend some time reading the word of God every day. Spend some time increasing your prayer life. How can you pray without ceasing if you only pray at lunch and dinner? You've got to learn to start talking to the Lord all day long. Remember we said it's not complex. You walk in by the same thing all day long and you want to know what to do with it. Next time, stop in front of that individual and pray. Earnestly pray. Lord, what does this individual need? What is my response to this individual? Do I have a response? Is there any kind of onus in my life for this individual? Then open your eyes and say, can I pray for you? Forget offering them. We already learned it. Forgetting off of gold and silver. You have something better than gold and silver. I understand you have needs today. Is there something I could specifically pray about for you? And then pray. Father God, be with this individual today that you placed in front of me. Is there's, if there truly is a need or something that I can meet or that a church could meet or a resource that we have, we have tremendous resources in this church that can help people. Address the need and get about your business. Move on down the road. Plant the seed. Let the Spirit of God water that thing and then keep moving. Because right? in the end, our job is to what? Throw seeds. Throw seeds, guys. You stop long enough and you get distracted. You're not throwing seeds. Just keep going. Keep throwing seeds. And where they fall and how they work out, that's the parable of the sower of the seeds. We are going to close with a song. And I'm going to ask the, Robin and the worship team to come back up here. And I'm going to pray for you guys. And I truly do pray. Um, you know, Mother's Day is a beautiful day because we're always willing to stop and appreciate moms. I've never seen a Father's Day video. I think it's time that we kind of purpose in our hearts. Oh, we don't have a fa is the Father's Day video like a piece of beef jerky, like in a freeze frame, and it says, Happy Father's Day or something? I mean, it's just, it just doesn't seem we have as much amazing, beautiful, and powerful verbiage. So dads, I'm going to put that out there early for you this year. We'll, maybe we'll create something. Maybe we'll find some motivation in that. But for you moms today, let me just close with a prayer and thank you guys for being here today and encourage you to come back next week to find out what happens when the Spirit of God is stirring the temple. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to stand before you today. I thank you for the opportunity, even in the place that we live today, to maybe see something different, to see someone different. We have plenty of people in our town, Father, that are maybe homeless, maybe have physical ailments, maybe have all kinds of issues. But Father, maybe the opportunity to spiritually intercede on behalf of the Spirit of God that's in us is something that we can give. And maybe that can be a gift, a Mother's Day gift that not only starts today, but could be beneficial to the kingdom of God for years and years and eternity to come. Father, I do want to thank you for the mothers that are here today. I do want to thank you for the love and just the DNA wiring that you have put in women of God. And I'm so grateful today to stand here. And if there's someone today who doesn't know that kind of love, whether they haven't experienced from their mom, their dad, but Father, if they haven't experienced it from you, then I pray that today would be the Mother's Day of all Mother's Day, that they would stop and say a simple little prayer. Dear Lord, I need you. Dear Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Reconcile to me those things which have been lost and stolen. Help me to see you as King, Messiah, and Lord. And help me to make every day an opportunity to say thank you for salvation. 
Father, we do everything in this building. We say everything in this building by and through the power of the Holy Spirit so that the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ, can be built. We do it in his name. Rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God! Sing with me. guys. 
church. God bless you guys. If you're out there today and you're thinking about baptism, if you're thinking about child dedication, feel free to let us know on a connection card. We'll work it out. We'd love to do it again. I want to thank you once again for making today's Mother's Day a beautiful day. May God bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week as we find out what happens in the temple as the Spirit stirs. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day.